Our message today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Hear these words. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Beth, Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied tie there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Meredith. I think there are a lot of ways uh, that we can view something. Like a gemstone, right? If you pull it up and turn it around, you see a lot of different sides of that thing. Let's take the 2017 World Series as an example. Yes, Houston won. But there was this whole thing about, you know, sign stealing, and then the league came down with some harsh words and yada, 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 and uh, sorry, L.A. Dodger fans. We won. I'm sorry, not sorry. And so you could view that whole entire story through the lens of the players. Like, what's, the, what's it like to be a player on the 2017 Astros, right? Do they even know what's going on? What's their job? Get on the field, hit the ball, field well, get on base, get some outs, all those things. You could view it through the lens of the manager. Like, what's their job, right? Set up a good rotation, manage the talent, give the batters the go-ahead, whatever it might be. Um, you could view the story through the lens of the league, right? Everyone in the league is trying to get a competitive edge, and so what do you do when you perceive a team takes it too far? You've got to have some harsh words. You've got to make a ruling, set an example, uh, some, some, some sort of like new standard. Um, and you can view the story through the lens of like the Houston fans. No one likes the Dodgers anyways, right? They're like the Yankees just on the other coast. No one likes them, so get over it. I mean, we could, but there's no point. So anyways, that's it. there's lots of ways to view a story. And it's the, the same with our story today. When we hear this story about the disciples and uh, the palms and the coats, and it's in all four Gospels, as we're going to find out, um, there's lots of different ways to view the story. You can view it from the perspective of the people who are witnessing the event, right? The downtrodden. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they gather around saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Jesus is here, and he's going to set up this new kingdom like David had, and it's going to be peace on earth. You could view it from that perspective, and I think you'd be right. And you could view it from the perspective of Rome, who's like, how in the world do we manage this influx <laughs> of people coming to the city? We don't have enough hotels for these people. Airbnb rentals are booked up. You can't even find a car or a donkey anymore. There's just, there's not, they're all booked. It's gone. Rome doesn't know what to do with the mass of people. There's always different ways to look at stories. And this is a life lesson, too. This is completely for free. It's not the point of the sermon at all. But when we realize that there are ways to view something, it changes our posture and builds humility in us. Um, again, it's not the point of the sermon today. I think that's a life lesson that we can learn. There's multiple ways to view a story. And so today, I want to take us on a journey. 
to get into the sandals of these folk who are gathering around Jesus, in particular these disciples. And so before we do that, let's set the stage and get our bearings, right? Our story, as Meredith read, came from the Gospel of Mark. Mark is my favorite gospel because it's the shortest. And so it's 16 chapters. You can read it in an, on a rainy afternoon. And then you're done, and you're like, ah, that's amazing. There's a lot that sort of reveals, um, the text reveals to you as you read it in one sitting. If you've not done that, I really want to encourage you to. And Mark is a, a great test piece for that. There are other gospels as well, Matthew, Luke, and John. And this story is in all four of them. It's found in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. In Matthew, uh, they come near Jerusalem, and Jesus sends two disciples to get a donkey. And the crowd spreads their cloaks on the ground, and others use palms to cover the road, and they usher in the king. In Luke, much like Mark and Matthew, Jesus sends two disciples to get a donkey, and the crowd spreads their their cloaks, uh, sorry, cloaks or coats, or a new word I just made up. Uh, But the the Pharisees, they have this sort of fit, and in order, um, they kind of order Jesus to be quiet. And Jesus says, I tell you that even if I ordered them to be quiet, even the rocks would cry out. John's an outlier in the group, as John always is. It's the same thing, except for Jesus gets the donkey, and the disciples are just confused, and they don't understand what's happening. Um, And that's John's perspective on the whole thing. But the role of the disciples throughout the Gospels is an interesting one to consider. First, who in the world are these people, and what do they do? Have you ever thought about the disciples and getting kind of in their sandals and seeing it from their perspective, and like asking yourself the question, what would you do if Jesus asked you to do this? What's the role of the disciple? So for the most part, these are ordinary folks, right? They work nine to five five jobs. They have no formal education in religion. They are not the top 1% of the economic structure. They are just ordinary people. At that day and time, they were fishermen and tax collector and you name it, just normal folks. They have a mixed bag of success in the Gospels. When you read the accounts of the Gospels with the disciples, it's a mixed bag. Sometimes Jesus calls them to walk on water, and they sink. (laughs) Sometimes Jesus calls them to heal the hungry, and then it works miraculously. Sometimes Jesus calls them to cast out demons, and they are terrified, and the demons are still cast out. Sometimes Jesus calls them to heal people, and they do it. Sometimes uh, they, the teachings of, they hear the teachings of Jesus, and sometimes they get it. Sometimes they say, okay, Jesus, we hear your teachings, we can do that. And other times they approach Jesus, and they say, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. Who can follow this? And they don't. It's a mixed bag. Sometimes they preach profound sermons, and thousands are converted. Another time, Paul's preaching a sermon that's so boring. Someone falls asleep, falls out of a window, and dies. It's in the book of Acts. That's comedy gold right there. And then Paul has to go over and he resurrects the man. It's a mixed bag of success for the disciples. And as we look at them, we could say that there are customarily 12. Nod your head. You've heard this before. There's 12 disciples. Now their names, depending on which gospel you read, are a little mixed up. It gets confusing. We're not going to go into detail. It doesn't matter. There's 12 disciples, and we know that there's an inner group, Peter, James, and John. Nod your head. You're following along. And then there's one core disciple that Jesus spends most of his time with, and that would be Peter, who he says, on you I'll build my church. 
These are the folks who followed Jesus day in and day out for uh, the better part of three years. Who knows? So what do we know about them? That they're this inner group and they are uh, playing with Jesus. They're, they're following along with Jesus. They're listening to him teaching. And then what I find so interesting about this story, did you notice, is that these two disciples are not even named. It's like no one can remember their names. <laughs> Just two sort of like, I don't know, faceless entities in the story. There's two disciples who are told to go and get a donkey. Now let's stop for a moment and assess what is getting ready to happen. Jesus sends his disciples out two by two all the time. This is what he does. It's like they need moral support. So he sends them out two by two. He does this in the Gospels frequently. So this story is tracking with previous patterns of behavior if you're Jesus and the disciples. They also don't really have any money, right? They gave up their job to follow this homeless teacher around on a gap year, and like they don't know what to do. <laughs> and Jesus says, um, just walk in and uh, tell them that the Lord needs the donkey. That should work. And <laughs> the disciples are like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. We'll try our best. So they're going with their friend, and they walk in, and as they say, the rest is history. Apparently it does work. And Jesus rides in on this donkey. And it's a crazy story. And this was the job of the disciples, is to prepare the way for Jesus. As we look at them, we've already discovered that they're normal, everyday people, that they have mixed success, and they prepare the way for Jesus. As I look at the disciples, you know who that sounds a whole lot like? And that sounds like us. That sounds like the church. We're ordinary people. We've got mixed success. And we are called to prepare the way of the Lord. That's it. The disciples are us. That's who we're supposed to be. We are disciples of Jesus. We're ordinary folks who do our best at times and succeed. Sometimes do our best and fail. And our job is to prepare the way of the Lord. That's how it's one of the key roles of the disciples. And this raises a question that I want us to both wrestle with today and, and take away today. The question is, how are you, how are you preparing the way of the Lord? How are you preparing the way of the Lord? What are the, the spaces, the places, the, the people, the relationships, the, the phone calls and the texts, the volunteer hours? What are the things that you are doing in your life to prepare the way of the Lord? How is your life structured in such a way that you are preparing the way of the Lord? And so I want to talk about two ways that you can do that in your life today. The first is by examining what I want to call the, uh, in doing the inner work. This is one way you can prepare the way of the Lord is by doing the inner work that it takes. The other way that you can do that is by looking at the outer way, the outer way that you prepare the way of the Lord. And so let's start with the first one, the inner work. First is, uh, we all need to do this. We all have to cultivate virtue in our life. Things like patience and humility, all these things is kindness. This is all inner stuff that we have to build and work on. And the disciples, they had sat at Jesus' feet for years. They heard his teachings. They saw how he reacted under pressure, and they attempted to emulate him often. This is why when Jesus calls Peter to walk on water, it's not a crazy thing because Peter wants to be like his teacher. So he's going to test it out as well. They're trying to be like Jesus, which is why they're following him around. The disciples had allowed some of that teaching to transform their lives. 
And that transformation comes from a place within. So I'm going to stop for a second because I feel like when I say that we all have inner work to do, it's not very clear, right? <laughs> it's sort of esoteric. It's abstract. Uh, kind of like, okay, Josh, I don't know what you mean. Let me uh, give you a very concrete example. Okay, I'm a dad and I am a spouse. My relationship with my children and my wife is not just my own little internal journey. If I have a very bad day and I come home and I start yelling at my kids because of my bad day, I have inner work that I need to do. I need to come uh, to my children and to my spouse from a different place and posture in my spirit and who I am as a person. Is this helpful? Is this concrete? We all have inner work to do. If you fly off the handle because of something someone else did to someone you love, you have inner work to do. If I'm at the stop sign and I just start bleeping out things <laughs> about someone who cut me off, you, you probably have some inner work to do. It begs the question, what kind of work do we need to do? So I need to sit with that. We all have inner work to do. And when we do that inner work, when I come to a place of humility and patience and kindness, that prepares the way of the Lord. It allows God to plant other virtues in me that I am incapable of building myself. And it allows the Spirit to transform me from within. And as that happens, that spills out into the outer work that needs done. I'm going to argue that it's very difficult to transform yourself from the outside in. You can go volunteer all you want, but if you have not sat with Jesus and you've not worked on the inside of your heart and your soul and your mind, you're not really being transformed. You're just polishing veneer all day, all day. What the disciples need is they need to be transformed from the inside so they can do the work on the outside as well. This is what the disciples do. So there's inner work to be done, and that involves sitting at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine if the disciples had not done the inner work, their response to Jesus when he says, just go ask for the donkey, right? Can you imagine their response if they had not done the inner work? They could have been the critic. Jesus, your plans will never work. They could have been the cynic. This is a stupid idea, right? They could have been the victim. Jesus always sends us to do his dirty work. I bet you the other gospel writers are not even going to remember our name, right? <laughs> That's all a posture of not doing the inner work. If you do the inner work, those questions fall away. You no longer play the victim, you no longer play the cynic, and you no longer play the critic. Your job is to prepare the way of the Lord, and you've done the inner work to be able to do that. So the disciples don't respond with that sort of attitude because they've done the inner work. Sure, they are not perfect, but they've been sitting at the feet of the rabbi for a long time. How are you preparing the way of the Lord? We prepare the way of the Lord by our outer work as well. Notice that this work that they do, it doesn't just like stop with some personal journey of enlightenment where they get their salvation card and they say, well, I got mine. You should probably do the inner work yourself and get your personal salvation card. No. Their work transforms not only Jerusalem, but it transforms the world. And then they don't stop there. Jesus sends them out. 
He commissions them to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are transformed not only innerly or inwardly, but also outwardly as well. The work they do in their inner life leads to their outward life as well. It's a powerful moment for these disciples. How are you preparing the way of the Lord? The disciples in our story are called by Christ to prepare the way for his triumphant entry. And we too are called to do the same today and tomorrow. Are we always going to have uh, success in everything we do as disciples? No. And should that stop us? Absolutely not. May we continue to work on our inner life in a way that transforms our outer life. May our inner work lead to deep personal transformation and may our outer work lead to a deep cultural transformation as we proclaim with one voice, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King is here. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.